This is One Heat Minute. Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. Look like gangbangers working the local 7-Eleven to you. Robbery homicides take me. Give me all you got! Give me all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. Trying to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's LA crime opus Heat, one minute at a time. Once again, from the Limerick Review, and also just from writing and producing a whole bunch of TV stuff, is my dear friend and great natterer about classic films. You would have heard her on a previous episode of One Heat Minute. Her name is Lisa Malouf. Welcome back, Lisa. Thank you. Good to be here, Blake. But yeah, look, I mean, you, we just couldn't drag you away from De Niro sipping a delicious Chinese tea out of a cup with his little... And looking so cool. Looking very happy and cool, and uh, we couldn't drag you away. So, welcome back. Thank you. Good so to be here. So, look, what we're going to do, we're going to jump straight in. We've, we've already had a lovely chat um, with Lisa. You guys would have heard a little bit about her experience with the film. We're going to dive into more of that, but let's drop everything. Let's get into this minute right now. We're going to watch, just to catch up, we are at the 54th minute of Heat. This is 53 minutes on the clock to 54 minutes. Um, this is the four 54th minute on the Warner Brothers theatrical version that was upscaled onto Blu-ray, um, actually was DVD and then up, uh, on Blu-ray as well. Um, it is not the definitive edition, so guys, just so you know, there is a Michael Mann definitive edition, and if you're a fan of Michael Mann, you know that he does like to release director's cuts, little tweaks of things. My, Miami Vice has a director's cut. It's not as good as the original cut. Ali has a director's cut. Ali's director's cut is better than the, the- theatrical cut. Um, and he also has one for Last of the Mohicans. Last of the Mohicans director's cut sucks. Just watch the theatrical cut. Oh. Um, doesn't suck, Lisa. I'm being <laughs> a bit extreme. But I think that you he, his theatrical pieces um, are definitely fantastic. They don't need any tweaking. I think he's a powerhouse of a director. I think sometimes age and, and some little niggle makes him want to change something instead of just letting it breathe. Um, so... 53 minutes is on the dial right now, and if, you, if you're trying to catch up to where we are exactly at home, you're going to listen to it, but just try and find Robert De Niro smiling with a Chinese sippy cup. He doesn't have his pinky up. Lisa just put the pinky up gesture <laughs> know, know. behind the microphone. But he may as well. He may <laughs> as well. He looks happy. So, guys, have a listen, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about this minute together. Oh, okay. like it? <laughs> Do you know? <laughs> so you are insane. You, I mean, it's, you like it? You? Just don't ask him where he got it. Yeah, that's, <laughs> what, that's what I am. <laughs> What do you want to be when you grow up, honey? I don't. <laughs> she 
doesn't know. Just like me. I don't know either. I'm so glad Lisa's here because I get sick of, if I do, when I do listen back to this podcast, and I do, when I do listen back to this podcast, one thing I get sick of is when I come back in and go, ooh, that's a good minute. <laughs> so I'm so relieved to have someone else say it. But uh, it's a great, it is a great minute. And what, what The last minute was a great minute too. It was, but what's, what's interesting, Blake, is sometimes a minute may stop at the end of a scene, but what I actually love, for example, this minute started, we, in the previous minute, we got two seconds of the restaurant. And in this minute, if this minute was five seconds earlier, we wouldn't have had her room. And the fact that we have her apartment here yes. brings so much more to talk about for this minute and so much many more interesting things. So, you know, clearly whatever, you know, vision and nothing's wasted and everything <laughs> that man does, I'm sh one thing I'm sure he didn't do <laughs> is make sure every minute jumped <laughs> on a thing. But it's just interesting the way these minutes stop. They're, they're yeah. I, I've been lucky enough to get two minutes now that stop on a great, uh, a great spot just into the next scene so you get to another scene to talk about as in well. In some of them, they have been so perfect that it's scary. Yeah. It is like, shit. <laughs> but it shit. is just coincidence. Did, he, like did he plan it out <laughs> a minute by minute? Maybe he did. No, he, he wouldn't have. But yeah, no, I agree with you. It's like some of them are so perfect. And, uh, you know, in the in this sequence of events, you know, with um, the changing of scenery through here has been really organic. Um leading us to different places. Port, you, you know, phone phone conversations are great portals into different yes. scenes and sequences and locations in a film. But it's not really indulgent here. It's really, um, you know, we go back to Van Zandt's really tacky place in the previous minute. And here, which says a lot about him. Yes. And the great punctuation of this minute is that you get into Edie's apartment and it says a shitload about her the in The location, that just the locations... That's great. I mean, the way we've cut from location to location, that's the great storytelling. Yes. There's, you know, we're only going to have, th we've got three seconds of her apartment, but we could talk about it for an hour. <laughs> you know, there's, there's so much happening. Yeah. And, um, and here, I mean, I just, I really love, I love this minute. I love the beginning of it. I love when we see this beautiful big table. You know, the flat table number oh, I'm one. Trying to see, trying to see if the lazy Susan's on there. There's yeah. no evidence of a lazy yeah, we're Susan. About, and I'm trying to see, like, what we're eating here, there's a bit of pie or something. It looks like a bit of pie with fruit. A tall scotch. There's a bottle of wine open. But Two if you kids. just look at other people's tables, <laughs> they these guys have the big table. Yeah. He's the man. The, the big table. But we've, we've just paused it on 53 minutes and two seconds. And Elaine, who is Michael Torito's wife, is like holding <laughs> a gargantuan <laughs> looking diamond right now. It looks oh like a big yellow diamond. And the little kid who wouldn't care about jewelry goes, wow. Like for a kid to go, wow, it must yeah. be pretty. Yeah, pretty it must be pretty big. impressive. And so, you know, even, even, uh, <laughs> it actually is really funny. It even looks like Tom Sizemore, the person, is actually <laughs> surprised with. The props department, what they've the come up with. with. Yeah, like, look at look at that face. It's like, whoa, this is actually me. Now, he's kind of uh, playing around with his tongue there. And you know what it probably is, just for you, Lisa, because yeah. you may not have gone back this far in the One Heat Minute journey. The lovely Oscar Hillstrom, who was on the show early on, talked in detail about Tom Sizemore's meth addiction during the filming of Heat. Oh, wow. Yeah, so... I knew that he had some drug issues subsequently. I didn't realise it was during Right here, and right now, at this table, are two of his sponsors. Robert De Niro is a sponsor. 
first. You mean his AA spon- like sponsor, like in real life? Yeah. Well, I didn't know that. His wow. NA, Narcotics Anonymous, oh, <laughs> and Danny Trejo later on in life. Re- what, what, some years after the... Yeah, Tom Sizemore's sponsor. Wow. Yeah, there you go. There you go. There's a tidbit. That, I didn't know that. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Thank you. I love the um, backstage <laughs> trivia. Yeah. yeah, so there's some backstage trivia there. Lisa actually bought me a great backstage uh, <laughs> trivia book of uh, classic oh, Hollywood. Directors. The directors getting, up to yeah, yeah. directors getting up to naughty things. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and in the Me Too world, oh my God, those guys back then were getting up to some mischief, let me tell you. Um, so, yeah, we get into this scene. And, and you said, I think we talked about in the last minute uh, that we had a chat ever so briefly that this was kind of the turning point minute for you as far as this is when you truly started becoming engrossed in the film. Yeah, when I saw the other parts of their lives. Because we had seen... Justine and Vincent yeah, early on. We'd seen, you know, Avocado Boy, as I call it. So we had we had Avocado Boy and we had their, you know, their situations. And obviously we <laughs> had... <laughs> Sorry, Dominic. <laughs> Sorry, Dominic I didn't know his name, but I knew it was Avocado Boy. D- yeah. Dominic saying Avocado, That's yeah. Right, yes. Um, <laughs> and avocados <laughs> are so topical these days about... <laughs> Um, with the whole housing price thing. But anyway, um, I like seeing the families here. And I know I mentioned the compartmentalisation of their lives in the previous minute, but you, you really see it here. And look, just just even also mentioning the previous minute how Macaulay is the king of all his surveys here. And the power that he has, like uh, the power that he has over everyone, the fact that, you know, Previously with Charlene, you know, saying to her, you're going to give him a go. You know, you're going to give your dude a go. And then what happens? Here she is, hair done, makeup done. They're sitting at dinner whispering sweet nothings. Look, he's quite a convincing guy. Yeah, and, and, and You will give him the chance. Yeah, you will, you will. <laughs> and, and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't hit her. He doesn't, you, you know, like it's the no. voice. It's the, and she knows the power that he has over the situation. But even here, the fact that it's Elaine, is it? Yes, Elaine. Elaine. The fact that Elaine says she's not saying to her husband about she's saying did you know about this meaning you know it's sort of um he's the sort of patriarch of the family you know yes and did you know about this and then even the joke about or don't ask where, where he got it just shows that whole thing and this is again the history of gangster movies with the women with the female roles so there was some type of you know wives and girlfriends of these gangsters you know sometimes you had in some of those ones from the 20s and 30s yeah, that was uh, the women. They're oblivious. Didn't, yeah, the women didn't. Ha- um, they were seen as these sort of dumb flappers or something. They didn't have any ca- much <laughs> character development. Sorry, some of the can I just say you know, like that this is the first time <laughs> in fifty odd episodes. There's been a few bonus ones in there that uh, we've had the phrase "dumb flappers" on the show. So I just wanted to raise some space see, to really appreciate. So in some of those old gangster <laughs> movies, the women weren't written uh, strong women, and some of them. But then you had some who were the really ballsy ones. And in yeah. some of the films, they got, you know, co-billing some of these 1930s films. But what's what I find interesting here is, oh, I- in even if you look, say, the, the 30 years prior to this, yes. past the golden, like after the golden age leading into here, there were, there's a number of gangster movies where there's different types of women. So some of them are, you know, seen as the dumb ones who don't know what's going on. And then you've got the knowing ones who turn a blind eye. Like they know that their husband are doing... Well, um, underhanded stuff, but they're choosing to ignore it. What I love about this table, though, is that the only people at this table who don't know what the, what is what are their part are the kids. <laughs> yeah, yep. these wives know exactly what their kids are doing. And exactly, and we know that by the fact that she, to make a joke about don't ask where it comes from, and the fact that she laughs that off 
is basically her being complicit in this is ill-gotten gains, and but I'm taking it. Yeah. And, they're, and they're absolutely complicit. And so w- there's another fantastic scene. Looking really forward to chatting about it later on. Is there's an amazing scene where Tom Sizemore's character Michael Torito is, uh, you know, Neil's laying it out once they've found the heat of the cops. They're talking about the the signature heist of the film, and they're they're there together, and they're asking, you know, is the action, you know, is the is the juice worth a squeeze? And I really love I I love in all movies especially crime films where is the juice worth the squeeze and it can happen in fun movies like Ocean's 11 or it can it can happen in you know um, uh, you know even like bond movies had you know that that is the juice worth the squeeze moment here is do we do the heist and Neil as the patriarch of the, the, this minor crew he knows that Chris is going to say he's in because mm-hmm. he knows the hole that Chris has been in with money because yeah. as Ashley Judd's Charlene has said many times, you know, he's a degenerate gambler. And there's this great moment where he actually says about Elaine. He's like, Elaine's looked after you. You've got property, you've got bonds, you've got money put away. And when we first meet her, we see that. And that's what I mean about, and she's not what I said, the dumb flapper of the previous ones, because she's the one saying to him, the first time we meet her, she says something like, um, I'm paraphrasing, be an adult, you know. Oh yeah, you're yeah. Not so acting like a responsible adult. Yeah. Here. So this you got Charlene yeah. saying to Chris, like, yeah. we're, we've got not got enough steaks in the freezer. But conversely, Neil's saying about Tom Sizemore's partner here that she looks after you. Yeah. So what's cool around this table? Everyone knows what game they're in. Yes. And and, but they're happy to still live their fun normal life. They're still even though that they're the partners of crooks. <laughs> um, yes. They're still. Oh, sorry. Yep. Um, they're still totally cool to be like, yep. We're in for this. This is exactly what we want to do. Yep. And the and the other other thing I see about this minute, I look at it as we've basically got. I know it's a round table, <laughs> but metaphorically, there's a square with four sides. Okay. Yes. So we've got the four different. So we've got, you know, we've got a couple who avocado boys at home with the babysitter, right? Yeah. We've the, got the Shahilis yes. family with Val Kilmer and uh, um, and Charlie. Yeah. We've got Sizemore's family, Ashley Elaine, Jones. and the kids. So we've got that four. We've got Treo and his wife or girlfriend. She looks like a girlfriend. Um, yeah, because we don't really... She's the one we meet the least. We just see them sort of canoodling a bit at the table. Yes. And there. And then the fourth... And this is what's interesting. And the fourth part of this is Lone Wolf here. And what I love, again, as I said in my <laughs> previous... has got a hand in her heart right now. <laughs> what I love about Neil... Oh, this is great. What I love about this is he's looking at these families. You know, this throwaway line... What do you want to be when you grow up? There's so much in that line because what it's talking about, it's legacy. The fact that he has a child, the child is going to grow up. She's going to be something in the future. That's showing, and again, maybe I'm reading too much mushiness into, you know, but, you know, look, who does he go and call at the end of the minute? So he's, I think he's looking, he's king of all these surveys, as we've said. He looks around and there's this one, we'll come to it shortly, I think, when we look through the minute again. There's this, Look, he sort of sur- surveys the table and he sees the other three bits of the square at the round table, and he's the one. He's the one who's alone. Yes. And you know, and then uh, he thinks of Edie, and he goes and calls her. And that's if you didn't if you didn't know that he went and made that call, and you just looked back at where we are, you know there's some recognition. Something's gone off in his head, 
and there's something now, whether it's a thought of something's lacking or I'm reading too much and pushing to it, but he <laughs> does go and call her. The minute I saw that look on his face, when I watched it the one time right through, I was looking at him, seeing he was the, the lonely one at the table. And I love that. I just love that about this. I love that about this scene. So he's, he's king shit of the thing, but he's the only one who doesn't have the legacy or the, yeah. And he doesn't have the legacy because, you know, for him... Well, what does he say? You can't have someone that if the heat comes, you won't um, um, drop yeah. them in a second like a hot potato. So yes, yeah, I, I think, yeah, I, I, it's it's funny that you said about the legacy, right? It's about it's about what am I actually leaving behind? Because for him, so far, and uh, and I'm going to jump on that line particularly. Mm. His legacy has been the discipline, and this echo, this you know, consistent method of approaching. You know, whether it's his actual performance, if we want to go a bit meta and say <laughs> his legacy is his performances, his legacy is his, his approach, and, and and these guys who are sitting around this table are literally and metaphorically as characters and actors yeah. following in, in his legacy, and they're in his shadow, and they're taking his lead, and they're taking his guidance as far as, you know, being the captain of their little crew in, in, in performing as, as a group of players, but also as this team. So, you know, for, for some time, I think he's 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 kind of not seeing the forest from the trees, you know, what he's doing, he's, he's, he's teaching these guys a discipline, he's keeping them protected, he's being the most disciplined and, yep. and, and cutting everything off, but he's actually allowing these guys to live lives that where the rules are allowed to be bent. Yes, yes, and, this, and, and also, and he's the, it's like, it's the whole thing about, you know, when the, the, the sum of the parts being better <laughs> than the in individual components. Yeah. So, look at these... Um, Treo's sort of the lesser, but it, you look at the other the other two. Look at um, Val and Tom's characters here. And Danny Treo, guys, just for, for not to diminish, but I mean, we now know him like Machete. He was in <laughs> Robert Rodriguez's films, you know, the Desperado. He's been in a stack of movies, you know, that the deliciously iconic face and lady tattoo on his chest. But this is like his first movie role out of prison, and Michael Mann cast him basically because he's an ex ex con. And his name's Treo in the movie. <laughs> like, uh, like, 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 that's like that's how close to that's how people didn't know who Danny Treo was that he named him Treo because like, oh, it <laughs> makes sense. Why would I call you I any like other name? The th and the thing about yes, and I'm not again, not to me. I mean, because you know, if you don't have a getaway driver, <laughs> you don't get away. So you know, everybody's important. In but there's the two great roles yeah. that are vying for that getaway driver role, which is Donald Breeden, played by um, uh, Dennis Haysbert, um, who's who's got his own entire life story the life of crime you know tragic hero story that's going on in another part of this movie but yeah they're, they're sitting around the table but what i guess with the uh when we were talking about you know macaulay being king of the king of the guys here the thing about it is if you look at the tom sizemore character and the val kilmer character they they have enormous skills like you know sniper skills and other yeah. things but if it wasn't for his you know mentorship's not the word but you know looking over everything they couldn't do any of this without him. No. So he might be a great sniper, but what? W and it's you know what? It's like the <laughs> it, it, it could be a metaphor for Michael Mann directing as well. You know, it's the director putting all the pieces together. So these guys, without him, they couldn't go off and do their own crimes. No. They need to be part of this situation, and but the sum of the parts is the greater. Yep. So they need they need him. And but what's interesting is. They get to have the life, and he's you know he's there mentoring. He's saying he's talking to him when he's drunk. You know, 
get yourself yeah. together, you know, you're seeing someone on the side, you know, do you really love her and all this business and then saying, t you know, saying to her, get rid of, um, get rid of um, Hank Azaria and, and he has this, he's controlling their lives but they'd be a mess without him. So yeah, I think what's really funny, and this is what we don't see in Vincent's life, um, is that Vincent is a military level architect of their hierarchical structure. Yeah. So his team's success is his intuition, his flair is is their success, and they all learn from that, and they're all great, and they basically hear the orders and do it. And Vincent then allows them to have a personal life. Because then he, he just stays in this state of pure mania, whereas Neil, like you said, is mm. this architect of control. And so what I what I love here, and this is what I love about his performance, and whenever I talk about Edie and Neil, I always want to ask, and I'm curious with you, is like we've seen that he's he's designed this tape. He's basically patched it up so that this table can exist. Yes, yes. And he's sitting here appraising what he knows is by his hands. Yes, <laughs> he's designed yes, yes, it. Yeah, yeah. And yet he still feels incomplete. My yeah. question to you is, is this the moment that Neil McCauley really starts lying to himself? About whether he needs Edie? Or yeah, like, it just like, because... I I my I I be my yeah I I'm interested to hear your explanation but just to to be mm. clear on the question is when I look at uh, my big question and and I don't have an answer mm. and I don't think I'm getting any closer yeah. <laughs> to what I talk about but I uh, the question that I always have is there are sometimes when I watch it and I go uh, you know and I, uh, speaking to Manola Dargas talked about Edie is his holiday destination Edie is the perfection that he he he's talking about in a really abstract way in some stupid random conversation about New Zealand but she's the abstract she's the softness she's the hippie um, to his very sort of cold and clinical nature and so she's like this holiday destination that he actually gets to feel like a real person and he kind of likes it and so sometimes I watch it and I'm so engrossed because I'm like there's this guy who has made himself the very best that he can be by sacrificing everything he needs to, to live any kind of normal existence mm. but at the same time his fulfillment comes deeply from his l ability to be good at his job and that's yeah. his self-identification but then at the same time this is where i start to sort of flip it on its head completely and go no that's a lie i think he's lying to himself i think he's setting up this fake thing and it's like fairyland and that's that's the flaw that's the first part of the flaw because it's like fairyland Edie was just a nice one night stand and it was lovely and she was beautiful and she's and she's this, you know, nice little tender holiday, but that's exactly what she is. It's a holiday. You know, he's he and so I, I take both one yeah. time I might watch it one way and the next time I watch it. So I, I'm often interested in people's opinions. Well that's what I love to hear that the fact that you've seen it so many times and you still get something out of it in that you're still wrestling with that, you know, in your head of where he yeah. is. Because when I watched it, lie isn't what came to me. It was more about just the realization of uh, the, the what he doesn't have. I mean, he alluded to like when they had their their first night, and they were talking and looking out at the water, and you know, talking about family. And he's just gives some sort of vague, you know. She talks about um, early when they first meet. She talks about Parsons, and he's never heard of it. Like he doesn't, you know. <laughs> um, I thought that was hilarious. You know, he's like, oh, you know, I'm you know, mystical, but I'm not Mr. Colt. You know, like I wouldn't know the most, you know. <laughs> Is that a good school? school. 
Um, so I didn't see it as lying, uh, I mean, the way I looked at it, but again, I would have only seen that scene, you know, just right through, not 8,000 times like you have. <laughs> you haven't seen it. <laughs> 8,000 times. But uh, I definitely think, yeah, something clicks. He, he looks over the situation and he sees some sort of, you know, I mean, why else does he go and call her then? You know, it's not, I actually think there is some depth to it. It's not just like, oh, a booty call. Like, oh, yeah, I could, rather than finding someone else, oh, here's this one from the other night. I actually did, it, it felt like there was something, I mean, he says that, I mean, not that you can believe it, but he says that to her when they they talk in the next minute about yeah. what, um, I thought it was a one night, oh, no, not for me or whatever, something like that. So I definitely see a change in him. And I love the fact that before you know he's rung her, it's, or what's going on, there's something you know, he's not. I don't. You know, he's not sitting there thinking, "Oh, what am I going to do about Van Zandt?" <laughs> you know, like it. I knew that it was something. Oh no! Emotional. No, what's what, what's great is that killing Van Zandt is like having a cup of Chinese That's tea. That's what I'm saying. It it's certain. Yes. Yeah. It is going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But Edie, yeah. So that's that's why when I watch this, I'm not sure because I just, I don't know. Like, there's something where you. And the way I relate to it, is like. There's been times where you make a decision when it comes to love or passion in your life, in your life, and you go, "This is a bad decision. <laughs> <laughs> this is not good." As in, for whatever it is, mm. for my job or for whatever, and you go, oh, "This and is." Yeah, and, and for him to open up to, to open someone up, is not. It's not good. Yeah. And and if you actually did care about that person, yes, you are opening them up, especially someone who's around the table, a right? Like, like but a but hippie. Yeah, but and, to and all these girls are complicit. She yeah. ain't anything like exactly. Any of these girls. Yeah, and what I did read, apparently, the real Amy um, Brannigan is she is a past, she's an anti-guns person. Brannigan, yeah, yeah, <laughs> Brannigan. So, and she <coughs> wasn't going to take the role. Apparently, no. originally, I was reading something about that. So that's what's interesting because. If and he Michael Mann said I that is precisely why you need to be Edie. Oh, great! Because right. yeah, she brings a completely she's a completely different energy. Yeah, from yeah. all the, the women in this movie. Yeah, Charlene's incredibly powerful. Justine is both powerful and fra fragile. And Amy Brenneman's this hippie energy. Artistic oh, person. and even, I mean, we're talking adult women, but Natalie Portman's character. Like, yes. that's... She's neurosis. And again, you know, we haven't Her seen yet second at this minute. Movie. Was, was that right? Because that was... Was the she, was she about Leon, 12 or 13 or something? Leon so. and then did this. Wow. I mean, you know, and what, 25 years later, best actress, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, definitely, uh, I, I, he's not only he's opening himself up to a whole world of pain, if he actually cares about Edie, yeah. he's bringing her, you know, a clean skin into <laughs> this clean world skin, of, yeah. you know, into this world <laughs> of the evil. Uh, or, you know, like clean skins and <laughs> flappers. This is just... <laughs> bringing her into, you know, she's... And I don't see her as, n not naive in a, like, she's an unintelligent way, but she's not... Do you see her at this table? Oh, she's so different to these women. You know, when they all go off to the toilet, you know, she's not chatting with these. are not her women. Like, these no, are not her that's girlfriends. That's why I wanted to ask. Yeah. Uh, were these girls ever going to be her girlfriends? Well, well, again, I can't. I don't want to say about... I don't want to preempt future uh, a minute that's going to happen in two hours' time. But um, 
I can't see her. But what we don't know is if we went back in time, you know, 15 years ago, was Elaine, was Elaine, yeah. was Elaine and, uh, and Edie yeah. and she got corrupted, you know. Yeah. And was it like, what, what, did what happened to Charlene for her to be yeah. counting the money after the heist? Think of, what are you doing? So, it's... We've only talked about five seconds of this minute. <laughs> I'll, yeah, okay. Let's we'll keep, we can <laughs> There's so much to no, say. Oh, but I do want to say one more thing about the table. Okay. I'm always reading too much into everything. But yes, I also see it's some sort of Last Supper and we've got potential Judas here with Treo, when, you know, who's yeah. going to defy me and who's going to betray me. And I definitely see this dinner... You know, again, I don't want to preempt too much of what's happening in future minutes, but so what I want to what I want to point you point you out to, and and it's only because you said this lovely Judas moment is mm. just have a look, and we're at fifty three minutes and stop, fifty three minutes thirty two seconds. There is a freeze frame uh, between about fifty three minutes fifty two seconds where Ashley Judge Charlene Jahelis is in the Jesus pose, and. <laughs> and, and Val Kilmer's in the Mary pose at this uh, thing, looking uh, like a Leonardo oh, the da Vinci. Theater, isn't no, it? Yeah, yeah, looking like a Leonardo da Vinci <laughs> fresco right now of the Last Supper. Yeah, look, uh, I've that's really interesting you say about Trey on the Last Supper. I, I think, I think you're right. Like as far as a, uh, um, as far as like the last time this crew is gonna be able to operate on the on the realm that they've been operating so far. Yeah. You're, you're 100% right. But I've never found Treo to be a, a, the Judas character. No, no. But, I ne I, I ne but, I but what I'm, again, without um, spoiling too much of what happens. <laughs> guess what, Lise? Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 I know. There's like, there's like I guess anyone listening to this podcast has seen the whole film. <laughs> let's say, let's assume that <laughs> okay. other than one and person. And there's a statute of limitations on spoilers uh, after uh, 25 years uh, almost. Yeah, I was going to say. There's only one person I know who's listened to pretty much every episode of the show. And has actually been on the show that has not seen the film. That nah. So, <laughs> the lovely Rose Powell oh, right. yes, she's right. was on the show. She has not seen Heat. Well, see, I don't want to spoil it for Rose then. But, <laughs> but <laughs> unfortunately, Rose has had it spoiled many times. <laughs> but what I would say is she has said, I want to listen to the whole show and then I want to go back and watch this movie. Wow, that would be really... That would be really interesting. Uh, it would be interesting. Because you can't wipe your memory of what you know, so you, you can never have that experience. So she's the only person who she's can She's the only that's person great, ever yeah. who's yeah. going to be able to have that experience. Wow. But, okay, on the, on, the, on the spoiler Judas situation, I guess what I'm saying, no, it's, it's, it's not a, so much about do, uh, does he, but... Uh, Neil has to explore it. He explores exactly. it like a betrayal. They are, exactly. They are, oh, who's done what? What he's doing? I've got to go to the house. And, and, the, and, and, it's, and it's only later... That and the trio bit not being there, you know, immediately Tanil is like, "There's only one logical thing that it could be," mm. but it's then that haunting loose end that comes back to get him, which yeah. is Wayne Gray. And uh, if we are doing spoilers, just the ultimate, uh, their last moment together, he has to do something. It, it's the cruel to be kind thing that he has yeah. to do. It's it's compassion. To, um, yeah, that is a that's like yeah, it's one of his boys. I mean. And um, that's that's actually very moving, and not dissimilar. Oh, in my that when I saw that thing happen about the uh, the last minute of compassion, the, the last moment of Tro's life, comparing that to I think what you're talking about at um, seven minutes from the end or whatever the, the last moment with the hands, and 
that was a get, that's another one of those. We've got two people, unlike these guys are on the same team, you've got the two opposites who actually have a, you know, the begrudging respect for each other. Otherwise, you know, who's sitting in a coffee shop talking to the, you know, like that's the fact that that happened. So that, that last moment or that, you know, near the end, that moment there reminds me of that moment in an, op- in an opposite way. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I'm 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 keeping my cards only so close <laughs> to my chest because you're saving that minute for a big yeah yeah or not not about a big thing I just uh, uh you know we've got plenty of minutes to talk yeah. about it but <laughs> that minute opens a uh, uh, opens a well of just amazing stuff and mm. I think yeah there's uh, there's compassion in all there's compassion in a lot of the deaths that happen in this film there's like you know the I think that when you're being very surgical mm. with the, even the precision of the way that they take things down, death is necessity. It doesn't feel like cruelty. Like that's why like someone like Wayne Grow, who's this sort of ghost who haunts this entire movie and this like weird wraith of a person, like Neil's going to kill Van Sant. He's not going to torture him. Ah, but can I just back on Wayne Grow? That that's it. You know what you just made me think of here. I hadn't thought this through previously, but. You know, we're talking about he's got his gang together and it's all who's orchestrated. The one time they get the ring in for whatever reason they had to get, I, I don't even remember the, the reason he the ring in came at that point or whether they were one down they or needed, they, they need an extra man or whatever. They need one more man to yeah. make that w- hum. And the only mistake, he, you know, clearly, you know, what I mean is, I don't mean Michael Mann's casting, but bad casting in the heist, you know, in terms <laughs> of getting this dude. And then you get this sort of nut job who... Goes beyond maybe the that rules. Is it. Maybe yep. that is it. Maybe that is a nod <laughs> to the director having cast some nutbags. <laughs> and you and what happens is, this is the thing. He's got such control. He's orchestrating his whole situation down to the cup of tea, at the at the table and the flowers on the table. And then, the mistake. You know, he's precision, but he actually made a huge mistake huge in the first mistake. minute by getting this, um, yeah, nut and, and, and to th- be in the in the team for that job. And I think that that's the great sort of dark shadow of Wayne Grow that haunts the movie. And so I call him a ghost. Well, the whole I film is a result. Like, if, 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 his, if he hadn't gone beyond his brief, the film wouldn't exist. No, like correct. Everything preci- um, precipitates, you know, that precipitates uh, everything. everything. So and so, and th- but also then, I think, like what happens with Van Sant, where he casually is out here, kneels out here drinking a cup of tea, um, Van Sant is terrified that he's going to die. And so I think that Neil automatically assumes to his detriment later that Wango is also going to be on the run. But Wango is also <laughs> equal parts sort of stupid and brash. Yeah. And sick. Um, yeah, he's he's impulsive. because Extremely impulsive. The very first mistake that he, you know, he does this impulsive thing, yeah. um, and, you know, and back to the sort of the cartoon, the cartoon cruelty, as you say, like, you know, there's other, d- okay, it's interesting because the first few deaths in the film are, yes. what is it, three security guards who, we don't know them that, you know, but there's empathy for them. I mean, like Someone might have died in the emergency room as uh, oh Neil yeah, was walking course. through. And there was <laughs> the guy with the, the gut and the heart, <laughs> some heart transplant about to happen or something. But, um, and also, that's before we don't know these characters. Yeah, no. We're a few minutes in. But then, the way those deaths are so cursory, like, here we go. And then something like, some someone that means something to him, whether he thinks he's been a Judas or not, to do the compassionate, to kill, you know, yeah. one of his four at the square, as we said. Um, but that's the that's what's even one more... One life doesn't equal another life. Yeah, and what's also harsh is just how... 
Yeah, I think it's also about the pace of the movie, right? Because one of the key deaths um, for me is Bosco, Ted Levine's character, when he gets gunned down in the middle of the heist. Ah, and, and you just have to go. You have to. And just there's move like on. a there's like a pause for as much as they can allow yes. themselves to even yes. pause. Yes. But they've got to move because yep. they're under fire. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No, that's great. That even just about the the air that deaths happen in this, and and like you said. Um, when Wayne Grow makes the mistake, they do not hesitate. Mm. Yeah. Three yeah. deaths. Boom. See yeah. ya. But, you know, I was thinking Macaulay only made one mistake, but he actually made two when I think about it because the first mistake was, you know, choosing Wayne Grow as this guy. Maybe he hasn't background he checked him enough. He didn't, he, but he trusted Nate, who's John Voigt's character. But then that was a mistake. Like, yeah. He didn't do. He didn't double check himself or whatever the problem of, of the casting him, so to speak, yeah. in that. But the second thing is, you know, when they're in the diner and he's like, and then Wayne Grow gets away. The thing is, if Macaulay had done, so, you know, whether he took him into the toilet, what, however, he could out of sight. If he just killed him or got rid of him, then it's like letting him slip away. It wasn't deliberate. It was just the circumstances of how that happened. That was his next mistake. Yeah, that's the next one. And mm. uh, yeah, exactly. Mm. And uh, but yeah, that's what I was saying with the the whole. In that moment, he thinks that Wayne Grove is going to be on the run. Yeah. And so at least... That's he, his he, assumption, he's yes. A, he makes that assumption and then he allows other things to happen. And that's why he has that brief moment where he's like, no, I did get betrayed by Treo. And then when he goes and sees him, he's like, oh, you Benny. <laughs> and he's like, you Benny. <laughs> oh, Van Zandt. Oh, I haven't killed that bastard yet. Oh, where'd you get that information? Ah, mm. oh, Wayne yep. Grove. So you're like, yep. it's the same thing. as those little morsels that he leaves behind. Yep. And he's actually, Wango's smarter than you think because you think he's just this, um, you know, crazy, over-impulsive, you know, and the fact that he's, you know, he's annoying from the beginning, gets in the, he wants to chat in the car, who are you? And he's like sort of like name, rank and serial yeah. number, that sort of stuff. <laughs> and he wants to, you know, he wants to sort of, I think he feels like he's a bit cool to, this is a big, it's probably a bigger gig than he's had or whatever. So it's funny because he, he's, he does stupid things, but he actually has more resources than you think. To, yeah. uh, to be able to do this. But I just, uh, when I look at him, I go, he's a survivor. So he's just playing, he's playing a real dangerous game. Cause oh, certainly. Because then what he does is he, and he's a liar. Because then he's like, oh yeah, I know Neil, we go way back. Not, yeah. we go one job back yeah. and they nearly killed me. Yeah. And by and pure I osmosis <laughs> of a cop car coming past. They all think I'm past, stupid. They all think I'm a bozo <laughs> and I killed someone and yeah. then I led the cops into them. Like, he, he uh, yeah, he just feels like a guy who's just one step ahead, one city behind, you know. He, he might. But I don't think he's smart. You know what it feels like? It's almost like he was lucky enough. To, like, he is more connected than you think, but a lot of it, I don't think he's intelligent. I think it's some circumstance yeah. of luck of somehow and but survival it's not like instinct. yeah exactly it's not a calculated intelligence no. it's some you know sometimes the, the dumb luck and and no <laughs> pun well pun intended on the dumb yeah. that's how i see him <laughs> yes and he's actually so he's so important to the film because he's everything happens as a result he's incredibly mm. important to this movie yeah we're still only 32 yeah, seconds <laughs> into this <laughs> minute lisa okay <laughs> no you don't <laughs> lisa's uh um a bit scared that she's uh, she's not going to be up to stretch on the the one heat minute, and I and I'm constantly reassuring her that this is fantastic. No, we we've 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 covered so much um, in this minute. I love I love here that 
you know, we're looking at 53 seconds, uh, 53 minutes and 34 seconds. We're looking at Neil, looking at Chris and Charlene. And right now... Whispering sweet nothing. He's whispering <laughs> to her. The sun rises and sets yeah. with her man. And she's like, yeah, she's very yeah. beautiful. And you're right. There's these expressions. He's taking mm. them all in, looking around the room, looking at them. The families, yep. And then there he goes. 53 minutes, 41 seconds. This is where the whole film turns. That's the spot that's the where face. we're talking about, you're saying, is he lying? And, and I'm just thinking that's when he thinks of Edie. Or he, he, he feels empty for a second. And like you said, is, is, is Trey, whether it's his wife or his girlfriend. Um, I think it's his girlfriend. Yeah. You know why? Because we're at 53 minutes uh, and 43 seconds and she's not even sitting in her chair. She's yeah. almost sitting on his lap. And yeah. I just think that's the honeymoon period. Yeah, that's not, we've been married for 20 years. Yes, no, no. no. There, there, there's still a lot of, uh, lot of energy. And, uh, you know, lots of laughs around the table. And then Neil just quietly excuses himself. I wonder how often this dinner happens. You know, do they have one before each... Do they have a sit-down dinner before each um, gig or what? I talked to the lads from Cinephile. So it was Josh Corbett and Stu Coote. Stu, who's been on the show many times. Joshua was his first. And one of the things that they talked about, because they gave me the insight, was like, you know, the cops monthly blow out, send the kids at home. They... They actually describe that the cops going out like monthly or every couple of months. Having a, d- what, a debrief and a yeah, all the cops go out with their out. wives and let off steam yep. and kids stay home for babysitters and you know maybe they take a bit of confiscated something. Yeah, and, <laughs> you know have a have a bit of a blowout night. Don't or ask where you got it from. Don't ask blah, where you blah, got blah. it from. But with the crims, I think it's um, I think. I don't know. I, I get the sense that they know each other well enough, mm. but it's not often, especially if they're running at a fast pace and they seem to run yep. fast and they've got to do a lot of work. So, you know, maybe I don't know. I, that, that's a great. I think that's an excellent question. How often would this occur? Because when you look at the history of, uh, and, and a lot of it is like the Italian, you know, uh, mafia yep. stuff and that sort of thing. There's so much associated with family and food. And, like, you know, some of these... You know, we talked about Goodfellas. You know, any of these films from the canon of... um, Goodfellas famously making delicious garlic shavings and... Anything from even the the 30 years prior to that, like I said, even after the Golden Age stuff, in that period, like I said, particularly the Italian ones, there was a lot of, yeah, food, family, and uh, a lot of sort of... The talk goes on. Like, for example, you see those four-hour Italian dinners where there are all the families are there, but at some point, or at a dinner party, you know, the wives go off to do whatever and the blokes sit and talk about business and the kids go off to sleep or when it's at someone's house. Well, it's, it's that. But interestingly, though, in this, you've got a bunch... These four guys are all of different... You know, we've got sort of um, different eth- ethnicities. So it's not yeah. like we've got four Italians there. No. Um, and that's that family thing. But... There is that sort of, again, is, is man doing a nod to it, but that the food family mafia yeah. thing of all these past Oh, look, I think, I think yeah. these guys are gangsters. Mm. There's, I mean, in the traditional sense, this is a yeah. gangster movie yeah. um, and a very masculine, tough sort of you got these gangsters. Yeah. But I think... But they are different. You know, like they're the really Scorsese different. ones yeah. where everybody's like but cousin, Scorsa- cousin this Sc- and uncle that. And yeah, Scorsese's rooted, Scorsese's rooted in... Sorry, I don't know what's going on outside my house right now. Um, Scorsese's is rooted in family and ethnicity yes, and, yes. And, uh, and that Italian family dynamic. Yes. And then you get... Th- the major difference with man is it's like these guys are um, 
it's almost like a military version of family because uh, it's like the assumption that you can be from a whole bunch of different areas and regions and you go into it. And they all put together. And yeah. you, you put together. So it's got like a bit of a military thing, but it's also the, the prison family. Yes. Yeah. It's both. Thrust together. Thrust okay, together. Okay, I've got a question for you, Blake. I'm going to interview you here. Um, tell me, in your... And I, and I bet you have thought of it because you've thought about this film so much. Back in your, you know, fan fiction fantasy here, <laughs> how do you think these dudes first came together? Do you, have you thought? No, have you thought about that? Yeah, hundred percent. So they would be. What, tell me a theory. I, um, they would have met in prison, one hundred percent, and they would have been talking about how they got pinched, and they would have been talking about how they would not get pinched again. And do you think when they did go to prison? Nero was sort of a bit of king shit there, and then the the other two being young, uh, not Trey, the other two being younger, and they w- somehow in a gang, of, you know, met each other there, and they were sort of. I feel like De Niro is. Um, he's probably I fifteen I years I older than the other two. I feel like Macaulay is like um, another Michael Mann film where uh, Public Enemies with Johnny Depp. There's a great prison escape sequence at the beginning of the film where there's a famous, uh, act, well, an infamous character who sort of revolutionized bank robbery in the 1930s for Dillinger that Dillinger then capitalized on and used those plans and he sort of mentored Dillinger and I feel like De Niro had mentors and I feel like he'd been part of crews but he hadn't run a crew and I feel like that's when he was a little bit older and he was mentored and maybe he was part of a crew that got pinched and he was in there for a long time but when he came out and 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 that conversation that takes place with uh, Vincent Hanna buy a coffee yeah. is very much like this is a guy who's come out of being in crews and ha- maybe has got pinched and has maybe had this mantra of discipline and he's come yeah. out and he's like no I'm never going back so yeah. then I feel like he's met them and they've latched onto him because he's got some wisdom he's yeah. done some time he's he's gone through some stuff and then he's come out you know he maybe he got pinched for just taking a little bit too much risk for, for, for a job um, but I feel like it's been a long time since he's been in prison and you know what that makes me think of? I'm sorry I forgot the character name. Who is the guy who goes to walk, work at Bud Court's cafe, uh, restaurant? Donald, Donald Breeden. Yeah. So when you look at his... And again, his, his role is small, but it's so heartbreaking. Because and important. Yeah, yeah very because, important. Uh, when you look at, okay, you're an ex-crim and you're trying to, you know, your wife or girlfriend's trying to encourage you to be clean. He's trying to... And, you know, and he looks at... He's got this asshole of a boss shit job he's going to get two cents an hour you know <laughs> and then you think you can understand why people reoffend. you know you oh. can understand why he reoffends. yeah you can a- and also neil yeah. right away goes yeah. do you know do you know who that is yeah. and when he so, so for me it's like he definitely he definitely knew chris for longer yeah he's not if you feel like he's known chris for longer and maybe they even worked on that previous crew when they both got pinched and went back to jail together yeah. Michael they met later and I feel like they knew Don Breeden and they knew his reputation. Right. And so instantaneously he's like, oh no, he's a great guy, let's do it. Yeah. Bang. Wow. Yeah. That's what I think. Mm. But, Lisa, just so you know, there is a prequel novel is there? being written. For oh, Heat. being written now? Right like now. Yeah. Oh, retrospectively. Oh. Yeah, it's being written. And that what, the origin story of? Vincent and Neil to get to this point. You know what I'd love to know in that as well? I wonder how they met all their uh, Charlene's and Elaine's, and I'd love to That's know how. That's probably those a stories. great part of the story. Yeah. I kind of don't. I'm scared. <laughs> I like this being the universe, and I like imagining. 
Um, mm. I'm a bit scared of prequels. I don't <laughs> like navel gazing. Right. Okay. I hate prequels just in general now because I'm like, a prequel just feels like. Well, it's contrived in that. It's if yeah. It, if it was, if it was written prior, right, and it's just been unearthed, that's one. Th- that's one thing. But when it's written uh, retrospectively, yeah, then uh, there's also um, there's a lot of shortcuts and like there's there's easy ways. Yeah, you can. Th- there's easy cheats to doing that sort cheat. of stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and you you see, I think it's a major difference between doing a prequel and doing something that's set in the same universe. So, for example, if you look at something like which I didn't particularly like as a film, um, Fantastic Beasts. It's set in the Harry Potter oh universe, right. for example. Completely different country, completely different issues, completely different time, set in a same wizarding world that Harry Potter eventually exists in, like, 70 years after. And, so, and I can deal with that, because I'm like, okay, it's in a separate world. Maybe oh, but you mean universe. when it's 20 when it's years like, prior Yeah, like, something. when it's a Star Wars prequel, you know, I'm just like, who gives a shit? I don't need to know where Han Solo come from. <laughs> I'm cool to know when Han Solo is on the screen. And so, yeah, I think a lot of that navel-gazing just starts <laughs> to drive me mad, and I would hate that it happens to my... Like favorite favorite movie yeah. of all time, and I don't think it would diminish anything for me. I would I'd, I'd be like, yeah, cool. If you made a prequel book and made it into a movie and it stank, I wouldn't care. Oh no, I, and I can exists. see how it and, and it somehow tarnishes your your. It would never tarn. It would never tarnish it. <laughs> it, it did, nothing could tarnish <laughs> this. But but there's no harm in thinking about it. Is what I'm no, I guess what I'm saying no, is I prefer you the. Know I want to sit here yeah. with you and yeah. imagine. Yeah. But I don't ever yeah. want them to go back. Yes, yeah, yeah. Like uh, it's like I want to, um, you know, imagine about, um, you know, I- idiot Parsons, you know, and and when she got into when she got into school and, and talking about you know the struggles in New York and um, that's what's in those characters are interesting. And actually, just if I can talk a minute about the women characters, what is interesting is, even though clearly it's a very masculine film. I think one of the Charlene is one of the strongest people Definitely. in the film. By I far. think she's extremely strong. Uh, I mean, obviously, like Elaine, you don't really see much of her, and Treo's wife, your girlfriend, you just don't see much of that. But um, uh, the other, the other three, then we've got you know two on the cop, <laughs> cop fa- we've got cop family and crim family. There's even though they're small roles, they've that. They're quite interesting. Well, Justine, Diane Venora mm. is an incredible role. Yeah. And Charlene oh. is the only woman, is the only person who can stand toe-to-toe with Neil except yeah. for Vincent that Hannah. that coat hanger thing. And yeah. The, yeah, yeah. So that's, so that's actually that's actually pretty interesting. But what you were saying before about I really can't see, like if she did go out to dinner, no. <laughs> dinner with them, these, yeah, they're not the sort of, they're not her crew. They're not her girls. crew. Yeah. They're not her crew. Mm. And this is being of a, like a film geek who has, you know, you know, <laughs> you look at partners a lot and you're like, is that, is that going to be part of our crew? Is that, is that partner going to be part of our crew or are they just going to be a, a ring in? You know, you, you look at, you look at stuff like that. You just know. And she's, she's, and, and, and what's, I guess what's interesting is because we don't know, it is speculation, what um, Macaulay's past women have been like. You know, have they have they all been nothing? Have they all been one Nada. night stands and it's nothing? No. And this is she's different. Maybe to them, because we're getting the impression there's something. Well, Chris different says about to him. him. Chris says to him in an early scene, "When you get in an old lady, right? Yeah. Want to get around to it?" <laughs> so for yeah. him, it's not the priority. Mm. It's not, he's a, he's able to live as a bit of a lone wolf. We're in the closing seconds of the scene. We're in Amy's apartment. 
we need his apartment. Sorry, Amy Brenneman, the character, and she's in this beautiful apartment with this, you know, glowing lights out the background. And just look at the difference. And, you know, we, we said, I think it may have been in the previous minute, we talked about what's happening concurrently in this universe, right? So we've got Van Zandt about to, you know, have a heart attack shitting himself. <laughs> You've got the restaurant <laughs> business happening with the happy families. You've got the di- for that poor dish pig terrified. Yeah, 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 exactly. And you've got and you've got her sitting, you know, on whatever night it is, Friday night, um, doing her work, graphic freelance. design work on this very, very 90s. Extremely <laughs> 90s computer. 91, whatever. And her PC. massive hair. Yeah, massive hair. And then... And unkempt because of the, you yes. look at all the precision of the ladies yes. at the dinner. Yes, and... The artwork. See, yeah. this looking at the artwork in her par- her apartment, I can't help but compare to Van Zant's clinical. So, on if you look at the difference here, her artworks like she's chosen these, where you know Van Zant's paid his design, you know his secretary to do it or whatever. There's just there's a real contrast here. Yeah. Yes. She's trying to make it out. I don't know if they're her art or whatever, but no, but they're definitely modern art. It's definitely yeah. very striking and beautiful, really, you know, divine sort of shapes and colours. Oh, sorry, I nearly snuck into the next minute there, Ooh. Lisa, on the, on the f- uh, before <laughs> freeze frame. One second, yeah. One second into that next minute. We can't. How dare we? Um, and and Edie just wanders over to the phone mm. and, and she just seems like she's focused. She's, yeah. not, she's not waiting for the And our minute school. ends on the picking up of the phone. So at that point, in our minute here, we don't know what the co- you know we don't know what the conversation is going to be, but we also do know one thing that at the beginning of the minute, yes, or the beginning of the last minute that we talked about, yeah. we watched someone pick up a phone, yes, and waiting yeah. on the other end of the line, and there's a dead man, and, and <laughs> was Neil McCauley, and the difference is, yeah, when she hears it's him, yeah, we've got someone who's happy to hear his voice, <laughs> and we've got someone who's not happy to hear his voice at all, no, yes, not not very pleased that they're hearing hearing Neil McCauley's voice. Yeah. Edie, on the other hand, very And that's the thing we're talking about with just the pure luck of, you know, it's clearly not predetermined that, you know, uh, like, I'm sorry, Blake, but man didn't know you were going to do this in 25 years and stopped it at every minute. But it's just interesting that we Are you sure? <laughs> Are you sure? That's it, yes. We've, we've been lucky enough, just the way it's worked out, to bookmark our minutes here with phone calls. Yeah. yeah great phone calls. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Lisa's been here... And has spoken for, uh, I'm thinking, an hour and 40 minutes, about two minutes of heat. Uh, and a I movie was worried she's seen I wouldn't have two minutes she, to talk about. She wouldn't about. have two minutes to talk about. She was scared. She was panicked. <laughs> wouldn't have any good content. Um, and also that she just, you know, she couldn't possibly have anything to say about a movie <laughs> that she's only really properly one seen and one, third times, one yeah. and a third times. I'm so glad you came along for a one eight minute. I'm glad I came. I had it. I, it was really fun. I enjoyed it. Well, look. We're glad to have you. Um, we've got 120 minutes to go, so we won't keep you for any more minutes right this minute. <laughs> but along the journey, would you like to come back? Perhaps we'll do another one. We'll yeah. do another one. We'll <laughs> do another one. And I'm, I'm going to tell you about one I would definitely like you on, a secret one I'm working on right now, oh. off air. Okay. We're going to talk Ooh. about it off air. Okay, interested to hear that. Oh, there's a tidbit. Um, guys, I'm so pleased that Lisa came on. Lisa, best place to find her, at Lisa Maloof on Twitter. Yes. And Limerick Review. Yep. And anywhere else? Any other oh, cool if things? You, if you watch children's television. If you watch Australian children's television, she produces a hell of a lot of it. 
children's children's stuff. So I don't know that our listeners would necessarily. There's be not watching. a lot of heat. One yeah. hit minute crossover to Lisa's yeah. stuff. In but the Venn diagram of the people, <laughs> there isn't that bit in the middle though. There might be. You, look, you never know because there's probably people like me got kids. You know, sometimes <laughs> you end up watching lots of children's stuff at the same time. You start watching Moana as many times as you've seen Heat. Um, it's a bit of a tragedy. But Lisa, thank you so much for being a part thank of the you. show. Folks, thank you again um, for supporting One Heat Minute, subscribing, rating, reviewing. We love you. Um, please, if you want to get in touch, mail at One Heat Minute um, is our email address or just oneheatminute.com. Um, I'm at Blakey's Batman on the Twitters. So if you want to DM me or um, hit us up on there, let us know you like the show. We love hearing from you. Um, one final like tidbit um, that I wanted to, to, to shout out. I'll just see if I've got my... I don't know if I've got it on me. Um, oh, no, uh, I... I don't actually. Um, I got an amazing text message um, from uh, one of our former guests on the show, Mr. Shane Abess. You are a legend. Um, thank you so much um, for being a part of the show um, a couple of times. But I, I've been meaning to, um, <laughs> I've been meaning to read this out uh, for, for a long time. So <laughs> this is what I love about One Heat Minute. Shane says. Just saw a guy get pinched for attempting to nick three Blu-rays at JB. One of them was heat. No way. He threw, wow. <laughs> he threw them on the ground and bolted when security arrived. The other two were Child's Play and Cobra. Now, so firstly, Shane, thank you so much for the text. Secondly, Neil McCauley would not be impressed with this guy's tradecraft going in and thieving heat. I mean, it's just... It's probably typical, the movies that he's collected there, Child's Play, it is Child's Play, it was not Child's Play for him to do it, and Cobra, terrible Stallone movie, um, and uh, and obviously Heat there. Look, um, I'm sorry, you know, you're not up to the standard of this crew. You really aren't if you're stealing things from JB Hi-Fi. Guys, thanks for listening to One Hit Minute again. Um, thank you, Paul Davis, for our music. Thank you, Garth Franklin, for our web design. Um, thank you, guys, for listening. <laughs> Um, and look, if any other former guests of One Eight Minute want to text me some hilarious stories about people trying to steal and failing, I'm more all about reading them on the show. So thank you guys and uh, have a good one. We'll catch you soon.